all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Change, transition, transformation, alteration, call it what you will. Does the notion of change put fear in your heart? Do you like things the way they are? Or do you know a change is needed, but you just can't bring yourself to do it? Let's talk about what's going on in your life. Share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. A new email out reveals details of a meeting between Donald Trump Jr. and a Russian lawyer about former presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. And that email was posted by Trump Jr. himself. In it, he says he was promised incriminating information about Clinton during the campaign. NPR Scott Detrow has details. This morning, Trump Jr. tweeted a thread of emails he exchanged last June with Rob Goldstone, a music promoter who had previously worked with the Trump Organization. Goldstone told Trump Jr. that the supposedly incriminating information was, quote, obviously very high level and sensitive information, but is part of Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump. Trump Jr. wrote back less than 20 minutes later, writing, quote, if it's what you say, I love it, especially later in the summer. Trump Jr., campaign manager Paul Manafort, and Trump advisor Jared Kushner ultimately met with lawyer Natalia Veselnitskaya at Trump Tower. All along, President Trump and his allies have said there's not been a single piece of evidence tying Trump and his campaign to Russian efforts to meddle in the election. This email exchange undercuts that argument. In a statement posted along with the emails, Trump Jr. says Veselnitskaya did not provide any information at the meeting. Scott Detrow, NPR News. The Trump administration has announced its pick for a key position at the Federal Reserve. It nominated longtime Treasury Department official Randall Quarles to a position overseeing banking regulation. More from NPR's Yuki Noguchi. Quarles has worked under both Bush administrations and has worked in private equity investment firms. If confirmed, Quarles' title will be vice chair of supervision, a role that would make him a key point person in the Trump administration's efforts to roll back some of the Dodd-Frank financial regulations put in place during the financial crisis. Quarles has criticized those regulations, and during his presidential campaign, candidate Trump pledged to dismantle them. As one of seven members of the Fed's Board of Governors, Quarles would also weigh in on monetary policy, including interest rate decisions. Yuki Noguchi, NPR News, Washington. Iraqi forces working to strengthen their new hold on the strategically critical city of Mosul, which until recently was under ISIS control. NPR's Jane Arath has more from an area filled with special forces vehicles. Here in the streets of West Mosul itself, uh, there's really not a lot to celebrate for most families just starting to come back. 
The streets are almost deserted except for military vehicles and families walking to try to get to essentially what are the ruins of their houses. Uh, one family I just spoke with said that their house had been completely destroyed. They couldn't stay in the camp they were in anymore because there was no electricity. But here, there's nothing. No electricity, no water. But they do hope it is the beginning of a safer Mosul. Jane Araf, NPR News, Mosul. This is NPR. Marine Corps investigators are on the scene of a plane crash that killed 16 people. The KC-130 refueling tanker went down in Mississippi's Delta region after taking off from Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point in North Carolina. Today, officials said the plane was under the command of the 4th Marine Air Wing, part of the Marine Forces Reserve, headquartered in New Orleans. They say debris from the wreckage had spread for miles. The United Nations says living conditions in Gaza are deteriorating faster than the U.N. had previously projected. The U.N. says in a new report that the Palestinian territory's population is growing more quickly and there is a water crisis. We have more on this from NPR's Daniel Estrin reporting from Jerusalem. Five years ago, the United Nations projected that Gaza would become unlivable by the year 2020. Now the U.N.'s Robert Piper says little progress has been made to reverse that course. Gaza's two million People uh, are seeing faster and faster decline in their living conditions. The U.N. says Gaza's population will be 2.2 million by 2020, but the economy and infrastructure won't be able to keep pace. And it says Gaza's only water aquifer will be depleted by the end of this year. Gaza's also down to two to three hours of electricity a day. Many of the problems stem from the Hamas takeover of Gaza 10 years ago, Israel and Egypt's blockade of Gaza, and the Palestinian Authority's recent reduction of electricity to Gaza to pressure its rival Hamas. Daniel Estrin, NPR News, Jerusalem. The Dow is off slightly at 21,404. This is NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the law firm Cooley LLP. With offices in the U.S., Europe, and China, Cooley advises entrepreneurs, investors, financial institutions, and established companies around the world where innovation meets the law. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. And now, Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. talking about change and why it is so hard, but it can be so good. So do the words change, transition, transformation, alteration, just the mention of those words put fear in your heart? Do you like things the way they are and don't want to have anything at all change? Or do you know that things could be better if you would just make that change, but you keep falling back into the same old patterns? Talk, let's talk about several different areas of potential change. Are you in a relationship that's bad for you and you want to get out? What about your job? Do you dread going to work each day but are unable to make a change that you know you need? Are those habits? Do you want to stop smoking or are you drinking too much? Or what about those eating habits? 
Have you wanted to alter those bad habits but can't? Maybe you have some thoughts or tips that have helped you make a change. I plan to tell you about some that might be helpful to you. So today we're going to talk about why transitions, transformation, and change, even for the better, can be so difficult. And as we've talked about before on this show, there are biologic reasons that cause us to resist change. They're very clear. Um, We all have them. Our brains can literally undermine what we know we need to do. So today I'll tell you a little bit about why that is and how that works and how you can make it work for your benefit. Um, I'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call about any questions about change or transition or difficulty that you're having. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email to family at mpbonline.org. So let me talk to you first a little bit about why we find ourselves resisting change. Um, some of it may be because of a perceived risk or fear associated with it. Some of it may be that we don't really know that we need to make a change. It hasn't occurred to us. And um, some of it may be that we just have a hard time initiating or following through with our desire to change. So I'm going to tell you why right now. Um, We'll talk about sort of the anatomy of why a habit forms and what happens. So we've talked about it before and relatively speaking, that everything that we, we do is reflected through circuits in our brain. So our brains make pathways for us to be able to, to do things. Um, so the way our pathways are set up are that our nerve cells, the neurons, brain cells, communicate with each other through a gap called the nerve synapse. And in that gap area, we have these neurochemicals that are released. They're called neurotransmitters. Um, And so they're released through that space. They make those nerve cells connect, right? And so through the connection of billions of those neurons in our brains, it forms a pathway. And so what happens is these interconnected neurons um, make these pathways or circuits that underlie why we do what we do. And it can be the reason that we form habits. The more we do something, the stronger that circuit is. So what at first may take some concentration and thinking and take a real conscious effort It takes less of an effort and almost becomes this automatic thing or that habit once that pathway is formed and it's strongly formed and reinforced over and over again. So it's sort of the Hebean theory that was talked about many years ago that neurons that fire together wire together. They just kind of stay together. And so that influence is... Um, what causes a habit. So you literally are 
what you do. Um, so I know you hear the you are what you eat. Well, you really are what you do. And when you do it over and over again, that's when a habit forms. So if you continue a habit, even a bad one, that habit becomes so hardwired into our circuits that your behavior, our behavior, is difficult to to change. So the more you do something, the more likely you are to do it in the future. And um, the unfortunately, our habit-driven brain doesn't distinguish between good and bad behaviors. It builds our uh, on repeated behaviors, whether they are good or bad. So does that mean that we're doomed, that we have to get stuck in those habits because our brains are stuck in those pathways? Um, if you've listened to this show before, you know that's not true, that we are capable of making change. We are capable of being able to move from a bad habit to change it into a good one, whether that be um, being disrespectful in our relationship, where you get into the bad habit of talking negatively to each other, a significant other, um, or whether it's that you come home from work and you immediately go to the pantry to grab a snack when you're really not hungry. It's just more that habit that you got into, or lighting up that cigarette, or having that fourth or fifth beer um, when you were perfectly satisfied with that first one. So um, we'll talk about how we can make those changes as we move along and, and why those changes are possible and how important they are so that we don't become a prisoner of our bad habit. We have a choice. We have a choice, and we can make a change. So I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on this and what you've tried to do or what you haven't yet tried to do as we move along. Um, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464 or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So let's talk a little bit more about our brains and how they change and how we adapt. And then the next thing we'll talk about um, is the, the stages of our, are the ch- stages of change. Um, that have been um, outlined by some pretty famous um, psychologists over the years. So we we really don't have, now I've made it sound pretty simple, all you have to do is decide to change and then you change. It's not as simple as it sounds because the challenge is to to harness that adaptability and move it forward when you're dealing with maybe anxiety, maybe um, maybe just the fact that you don't feel like you have the energy or the wherewithal to make the change. So, so what you have to do is figure out how to empower yourself to become the person that you think you can be 
and um, and not the person that you are right now. And maybe most of that person that you are is good, but there's some minor changes that would make you even better. So um, we do know that we have genes. We have our genetic makeup. And then, as we've talked about before, we have our surroundings and our influence. So the nurture versus nature, what you're born with, the nature of it, versus the nurture, what your surroundings are doing to you, um, is is something that is a balance. So um, some of us have some nature that will not change. We may not ever be that incredibly gregarious, outgoing person that we'd like to be. Or no matter how much you will it, you will likely be the same height that you are once you are an adult. So there are certain things that you can't change. But we do know that there is some neuroplasticity, the ability for the brain to change. Um, years ago, neuroscientists thought that, that neuroplasticity was only possible in very young children's brains. Um, but over the years, we've discovered that that's not so, and that even adults, even older adults, can make changes um, if they work hard enough and if they continue to change the pathways. So I think this is probably a good time for us to take our first break. And when we return, we'll talk a little more about the neuroplasticity and, and change. And then I want to talk to you about the stages of change and how um, we all, when we want to make a change, will go through certain stages of change. So this is Relatively Speaking. We're talking about change and why it can be so hard, but it can be so good for you. I uh, would love to hear from you. I want you to join our conversation at one eight eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. On the next Fix It 101, Jeff Simmons from Houseworks and Dale Moore from Affordable Solutions 601, along with Jason Klein, welcome back the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. She's going to be in your garage popping the hood, seeing what's going on with your vehicle during these hot summer months. So no matter if you're planning another road trip for the summertime fun, or you just want to make sure your car doesn't quit in 5 o'clock traffic, tune in to the next Fix It 101 as we sit with mechanic Allison Walker tomorrow, 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. 
Welcome back. Relatively speaking, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we are talking about change. Why it's hard, but why it can be really good for us. And there are certain things that we know about our brain and our nerve pathways, the neural pathways that we all have. And the more we do something, the more we do some of those habits, good or bad, the more they're reinforced. And so what happens is they become sort of an automatic pattern rather than even thinking about what we're doing. So if we're talking disrespectfully to someone, if we have a relationship with a significant other and it's turned into one of those snippy relationships where you're always talking negatively to each other, it's likely part of that neural pathway that you've allowed formation of a more negative habit. The same thing goes with um, some of those bad health habits like overeating or like smoking or drinking alcohol. And it's not sometimes that we don't want to make a change, but it's that we are having difficulty moving that habit into something better. We might not care. We might be in denial. We might not really get it. Or the major problem typically is that we don't know how to begin with what we need to do. So let's go on to the phone lines. We have Mary in South Haven. And Mary has some comments about smoking. Mary, good morning. Thanks for calling. Thank you, and thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, tell us what your thoughts are. Okay. Um, this was 45 years ago when I found out I was pregnant with my first child. And back then they thought they the, the tobacco company knew better, but they were advertising uh, uh, cigarettes as being good for you. Salem's good for you because it's got menthol in it. It'll clear, clear your throat. Yeah, right. But anyway, right. I, I had a feeling that cigarettes would not be a good thing to be doing around my baby. So I, I figured I would have, I needed two things to be able to successfully stop smoking. And one was a plan or a schedule that I could put my faith in, believe in. And the other was something to do while I wasn't smoking. <laughs> so the, the very good. Talk, huh? I said, very good. Well, that was such clear thinking. <laughs> well, um, somebody had told me with, that if you want to break a habit, if you can stay off of it for three days, now anybody can be perfect for three days, you stay off of it for three days, then the physical addiction is broken. I'm not sure this is scientifically right. I'm not saying that it's just what works for me. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. if, you can stay off, if you can stay off of it for three weeks, the mental, emotional, and social addiction to smoking would be would be over. You 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 know you're over that. You don't you don't have that urge anymore. And if you can stay off of smoking for three months, you're cured. And it absolutely worked for me. And the, what I did instead of smoke was uh, I was young and uh, not athletic, but I, I like to move around so. When I wanted a cigarette, I would just pace, and it, I could be mm-hmm. in the backyard, I could be around my house, I could be anywhere, 
but if I was, and even I've even done it to doctor's offices. I mean, you know, I mean, they don't care. Who cares? You're just pacing. And I would pace right. until I could sit down and not have worn a cigarette. So that, that was my plan, and it worked. And thank God I, I hadn't smoked for um, many, many years now, decades. That's fabulous, and congratulations. And now you know that some of the misinformation that was not only given out by tobacco companies, but some by, sometimes even by physicians back those many years ago was completely incorrect. And um, sadly, many suffered from that incorrect information. In fact, we know that even that menthol sex cigarettes were, were actually even worse because they oh, did yeah. seem to open up your your pathways even more to absorb the the poisons that were coming in. So um that Mary, you know, interesting, you um you went through something that was described over 20 years ago by a couple of um researchers, uh De Clementi and uh Prochaska. Uh, about the the stages, the five stage model of change, you kind of did it on your on your own, and um, so thanks for sharing that. I want to go over those stages of change, and um, you demonstrated that when you have the determination, you can really, really do it. But it took some energy, didn't it? Well, you you have to give yourself you have to self. Uh, a good habit for a bad habit is very important too, because if you just leave the void there, you're not gonna. It's not gonna work. But uh, I enjoyed walking. I knew it was good for me and the baby, and I and I went on and did it. And I've used this about my terrible habit of Coca-Cola as well, drinking Coke uh, <laughs> ten a day, <laughs> if you could believe that, and uh, and um, other things too. And finally. When I wanted, I needed more than anything to give up sugar. I just gave it up. By then, I, you know, I was pretty seasoned at giving up bad habits. And um, you got to keep a few, though. Mark Twain said, "You got to keep a few because you might really need to give up something." (laughs) 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 Oh, Mary, thanks so much for sharing with us. That's great information. And uh, Mark Twain was full of wonderful sayings, wasn't he? Um, well, let, let's talk as we move along. We'd love to hear from more of you about how you were able, like Mary, to, to conquer maybe uh, a negative habit and what, what you did to, to help yourself um, through those negative habits. So please feel free to give us a call. It doesn't have to be um, smoking or, or drinking. It might be just um, another negative habit that you felt like you needed to change or a change that you made in your life, perhaps, that was really good for you but really difficult to step through. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So I mentioned while I was on the phone with Mary, while we were listening to her wonderful story, that there were two well-known alcoholism researchers, uh, Carlo De Clemente and uh, J.O. Prochaska, 
who who introduce a five stage model of change to help professionals understand clients with addiction problems and help motivate them through change. And these will make sense, especially after what Mary um, just talked to us about. So the first stage is called the pre-contemplative stage. Um, and, and that stage is, the first stage is when individuals may be aware that there's a behavior change they desire, but they have no conscious intention of changing it. So that means Um, Yes, I know I eat too much, but golly, I sure enjoy the food. (laughs) Or the same thing with smoking or drinking or or even um, not exercising. It's a lot easier to sit on the couch rather than get up and go outside. Okay, so that's that pre-contemplative thing that happens. So um, you have to somehow to be able to even get into the 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 real movement is to not just say yeah I know it's a bad habit but to say okay I need to know that not only this is a bad habit I'm aware it's a bad habit it's not really up for debate and that you know that you're starting to have this internal debate about pursuing that change so that's now we go from pre-contemplative to um, contemplative. So um, you're, you're thinking about doing how to do it. And it sounds like that was sort of where Mary went. She knew that she needed to do something. Um, she was going through the – she had a major disadvantage of continuing. She knew that it might be harmful for the baby to continue to smoke, even though there wasn't – the evidence um, supported as much as we have now today. She was so very right. And then um, she examined some of the obstacles. One of the obstacles, that's during contemplative still, one of the obstacles was that um, she might need a substitute. She might need something else to do to replace that. And, you know, as we've talked about with smoking particularly and drinking too, if you're an anxious or fearful person or if you have a habit, remember, tobacco can be transiently calming um, to you. So she needed something to substitute. So that's what she did. So she was kind of coming up with what she could do. And then the, the next stage, the third stage, is the action stage when individuals move from planning to really doing, doing that action. And, um, you know, some of the things that get in the way of that, and a lot of times people get stuck sort of in the contemplative stage, and I bet many of you are there right now. And what happens is that what ha- is that you begin to procrastinate. Mm, maybe I'll stop next week or next month or maybe after the first of the year that was one of those famous things that my family used to say after the first of the year we will blah whatever it was and so sometimes we get into um we we stay out of the action stage because we just can't make that formal commitment so 
you've got to get into the action stage. You have to be committed. You have to set a date. And you have to absolutely stick through it. Sometimes it helps very much to enlist support behind you. Tell your friends, tell your family what your plan is. Tell them when you're starting and tell them that you need them to, whatever it is, um, not do around you or to help you through or be understanding. If you happen to be grumpy, I always tell people, you know, it's good if you don't feel good and you walk into a room, instead of just looking like a grump, it's okay. It's not complaining. It's okay to say, you know, I'm not feeling too good today um, or I have a headache, so I'm going to try to do my best. But if I seem a little off task, that's what's going on. It's always good. So, so we get to the action stage. And, and a lot of times people during this stage may feel um, increased pressure to go back to the old habits. They may get some negative feedback about the way they're acting. Um, there may be some um, good positive reinforcement, but not always. Not always will you get the reinforcement that you would hope for. So you have to steal yourself um, for that. And then... Um, you move into the maintenance stage. So once you've got that behavior, to get that pathway, to make this really a habit and to get it stuck, you have to do it over and over and over again. That's how you, you change the pathways in your brain. That's how we can really make a change in our brain. So um, the, you get into the maintenance stage. And so you really want to stay stuck in that maintenance stage very consciously for several months in a row. Now, Mary mentioned that after um, three months, then the, the habit's gone, the addiction's gone, and perhaps um, now you are, you're in a really sweet spot. But the maintenance stage for many may need to be sustained for up to six months. It's really important to have the right kind of surroundings and the right kind of support. Um, so there is some evidence that after six months, you are probably you you probably have that new pathway set. So um, I'd like to to hear from others of you about whether or not. You have have gone through those stages of change, whether you, like Mary, were able to make a change. Um, did you kind of feel those stages? Did you think that perhaps um, that that change was something that you were doing as consciously as we stepped through just then, or was it more a subconscious effort? My proposal is that it's probably more difficult for it to be subconscious. You almost have to pull it up into consciousness. So let's go to our next break. We want to hear from you about your change, what you did or what you haven't done. And maybe you need some help or just some advice. Please give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 7464 You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we'll be right back. 
From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. You count on MPB News for in-depth coverage of issues that matter to you. The state's ongoing opioid epidemic. A bill to allow guns in churches. The child welfare crisis. And the best radio newscast in the state. Those are just a few of the stories behind 10 new Associated Press Awards and another Edward R. Murrow Award. For the award-winning coverage you've come to expect, count on us. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Relatively speaking, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we're talking about change and how we can make changes, even though we can be creatures of habit. We really are, the human beings, are creatures of change and, and adaptation. We don't, we are not completely trapped by um, what we've always done, and we can make changes. And today we're talking about how we can um, steal ourselves and change the pathways in our brain to to really make a difference in our lives. Um, my question to you is, are you a prisoner of your habits now? Um, do you feel like you've tried and you haven't been able to make a change? Um we honestly do have a choice. We um, can just be mindless and continue in our problem behaviors over and over again and sort of be a prisoner of our own habits. Or we can step back, take control, pull in that higher brain, that front part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex um, and the frontal cortex and reflect on our actions and decide that we do need to turn those habits around. So we've talked about how we can do that, and and I want to hear from you about whether or not you've tried and failed or whether you've tried and succeeded. Um, You can, like I said, we have um, phone lines open. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672. Seven four six four. So, Jay, are you? Do you have any comments about where we are with change and adaptation? Do you feel like that um, there were times when maybe you yourself had some issues about making a change and and had difficulty in doing it, but finally succeeded? Mm, sure. <laughs> sure. There's plenty <laughs> of things. 
There's plenty of things I probably still need to change that I'm not good at. Yeah, me too. You know, um, I, like Mary, when I was young years ago, I think this surprises people because I was a physician. Um, I smoked when I was in college and um, and then after college, um, even into med school. A lot of people did back then. And um, and um, went through, knew it was not good for me, but but also knew that I enjoyed it. And so it was one of those things that I really sat in that contemplative stage for um, a longer time than, than I'd even like to admit because it was like, yeah, I need to do that. I know I need to do that, but it's just pushing myself into that. And I think we all get stuck in that thinking I need a change, but just the difficulty in making that change. So, yeah, I think for, um, for me, it is, um, I don't know, some of it came with maturity, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I'm sure is, you know, somewhat the case with everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I guess uh, some of it is, is just eventually trial and error, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but for some no, people, we, it's uh, some people, you know, they just don't learn things until they can uh, mess it up. How many ever times it takes. I was like that to a certain extent with certain things, and I guess everybody is to a, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I I think you're absolutely right. Sometimes you have to get pushed against a wall and realize. It's like with uh, people who have significant trouble with alcohol. You know, do they really have to get that second or third DUI before they they are forced into a change. Um, and, and yes, that happens often, unfortunately, and it's such a terribly dangerous thing to do. But we do other things, too. How many people have gotten into the lack of exercise or poor eating habits and not made a change until they had to have that first stint put in due to their cardiac disease? Um, so sometimes, um, you know, the, the positive way to go, obviously, is to not to get into such a bad place before you make that change. And so today I'm hoping that we are moving some people to get out of that contemplative stage and move into the action uh, plan, action stage so that that you can um, improve your life. Um, that know that the change can be something really good. All right, Dr. Buttress, we have Bobby on the line in Petal. Okay. Good morning, Bobby. Thanks for calling. Can you handle another reform smoker? Oh, yes. Love to hear about those. Talk to us. What I did, um, and I quit in 1983 after about 20 years, but I was up to three packs a day, and that helped me because – you can't enjoy a cigarette when you're smoking three a day, three packs a day. So right. I really hated them when I quit anyway, but I still couldn't quit. And uh, they had just started a new class. This was back in 83. Now they started a brand new class at the Methodist Hospital called Smoke Stoppers. And I uh-huh. went to that. That was about five nights a week, five nights for one week, and then you go back once a week for several weeks. But the main thing he told us, and he didn't preach to us or condemn us. He just educated us. 
but uh, he taught us some negative smoking techniques. You know, smoke a different brand of cigarette and turn it backwards when you're smoking it or something like that. Turn your hand upside down or whatever. And because um, he said, you, you know, it's some way you can fix it so you don't enjoy it. Uh, he said, if you smoke more, if you drink more than three cups of coffee a day, cut it in half. If you drink three, just stop drinking coffee for a while because when you pour a cup of coffee, you light up a cigarette. Very true. Nah. But he also yeah. said, you know, don't get up and eat honey buns and syrup and biscuits and stuff like that for breakfast. You get loaded up with carbs and said, 10 o'clock in the morning, you're dying for a cigarette. And he said, you're not really craving a cigarette. You're craving sugar. Mm-hmm. I proved that was right because I went through that myself by ignoring what he said. So that's true. That's another way to help you. And I think the most important thing he told us, you know, he told us each week it'll get better this week, second week, third week, fourth week. He said, week number five, it'll come on you with a vengeance. He said, nobody knows why, but you want a cigarette worse than week number five than you do on day two. Mm-hmm. So what he did was warn warn us. And, you know, week number five, it hit me, and I was dying for a cigarette. I just, I don't know why. <laughs> but I was warned, so I didn't take one. And once mm-hmm. I got past week number five, I was done. And the worst thing I think I've ever done in my life was start smoking, and that Probably is the best thing I ever did was quit. That's the most disgusting habit. I have done another thing now to to help these women that are still smoking. Um, I started when I was 30 years old in the RV business, and I dealt with old people. A lot of World War II veterans and and people a little younger than them. But from the, oh, all the way through the 80s and 90s, we dealt with people who the men, older men, they had already quit smoking years before. Their wife cannot quit. The wife can't quit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Women have a lot harder time quitting smoking than men. And I think, you know, if everybody's like that, they at least should be aware of it so they won't feel so darn bad about it. But it is. I don't know why, but it's tougher for a woman to quit smoking than it is for a man. But I'll tell you what, a reformed smoker can be a pain because we love to testify. <laughs> if you don't want to hear it, don't bring it up. <laughs> you know, that's but, interesting. I agree with you. And probably a lot of reformed smokers are more bothered by the cigarette smoke than, than others. But I'm not sure if there's any real evidence out there, um, and I'd love to hear from someone if they know, but I don't believe I've ever seen any real evidence that it's harder for a woman than a man um, to stop smoking. That's interesting that you say. I, I think that maybe it could be because there's a little higher incidence of anxiety in women than men. And so perhaps that anxiety is something that, like I said, is transiently alleviated. Maybe it's that women, um, are not coming up with a good action plan. Now, it sounded like the individual um, at the group that you went to gave y'all a great action plan, and he was your support, where he put your negative habit into more mindfulness. So it pulled Mm -hmm. it out of the the sort of midbrain, lower brain area where it becomes a habit and back into your prefrontal cortex where you're really mindful of what you're doing. He's making you think about it whenever you do it and and making those changes. So it was 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 education. Education is a key if you know. And that just I just look back on I'm so proud of that class. And it was uh, several months later, my wife finally went to a class, and it worked for her, too. 
it was a different class, but the same thing. But, the, but what I'm basing the, the women men thing on is the ones that I have dealt with hundreds and hundreds of them over the years, and I'm not going to say hundreds of smokers. I say dozens. Mm-hmm. The men had mm-hmm. quit. The women can't. I have a good friend right today. He's got the same situation at his house. You know, it's just I don't know what that is. But uh, at least the women that can't quit, they're in good company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not trying to give well, them a break, thanks. but uh, make them feel a little bit less bad. And one Thank other you. thing. Yes. Uh, people ask me when I quit smoking, I tell them about 100 pounds ago. That is the worst thing you can do is replace it with food. So keep that in mind. When you quit smoking, don't take up eating because that's just too bad. Right. And, uh, and, and that is something that people get into with uh, because it's such an oral habit. You substitute one oral habit with another. You know, you instead of putting a cigarette in your mouth, you put food in it. And so you're right, your action plan should have some substitute, like we heard from Mary at the beginning of the show, um, to come up with another substitute, um, like exercise, or like um, sitting at the piano and playing the music, or or writing, um, journaling, if you're not big into exercise, but some substitution that is not... um, not going to be a negative, an, another negative habit. That's good advice, too. So, well, thank you so much for your call. You had lots of good information for us, and we appreciate you taking the time to not just listen, but also call in. Um, I believe it's time for another break. Jay, is that right? That's right. Okay, so we will, this is Relatively Speaking, We are talking about change and sometimes the resistance to change. Um, Give us a call and share information with us by calling um, 1-877-MPB-RING. We will be right back. This is Relatively Speaking. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Many people with serious mental illness get help from peer counselors, people who face mental health struggles of their own. Peers are often the ones who can actually connect fastest with people and encourage them to get the treatment and the services they need. I'm Ari Shapiro. That story and the latest on health care legislation in the Senate this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, 
Call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. We are talking about change. The fact that it's hard but not impossible. If we want to change a bad habit or change something that's not going well in our life, it can happen. It just may take some time and energy. So you have to come up with an action plan and um, figure out what you can do to make things better for yourself. And we've talked to a couple of people already who have um, made great changes in their lives and clearly made some health differences for themselves and perhaps others around them. Um, Let's go on back to the phones. We have Joseph in Jackson now who's going to share some information with us. Good morning, Joseph. Thanks for calling. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Great. Dr. Buttress, this is Father Joe. Oh, Father Joe, thanks for calling in. Wonderful yes, to have you. You're very welcome. I was in the car, and I'm in Kroger right now in Jackson, so it might sound funny, but I, too, am a recovering smoker. And one of the things that, well, I want to talk about two things that helped me. One was anger. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, mm-hmm. November before I quit, my mother died after emergency surgery and uh, the doctors had warned us that it was going to be rough and then uh while she was in recovery uh, after a few days he said uh your mother didn't smoke did she and we said yes she was a lifelong smoker and then his face just changed and we knew uh or at least i knew right then and there that it it was going to be hopeless and and she did die and Mm -hmm. the following mother's day uh with that memory i put out my last cigarette and, and I was a dedicated smoker. I smoked unfiltered, long cigarettes. And um, so anger was one of the things that I used to get me through it. And it was a horrible withdrawal and painful. And the other thing, and this is kind of uh, sectarian, there was a, a widow in the parish who was retired and had a very clean and neat house. And whenever I'd stop by to see her, uh, she'd bring out an ashtray and put some matches by it. And um, she hated the smell of smoke. I didn't know this at the time. Oh, and wow. when she heard that I was quitting, she prayed for me. And so I tell anyone, get a believing widow to pray for you if you want to quit. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, that's that kind of sounds like a good plan. And, you know, there is evidence that that praying for others and having them know that you are praying for them can be very, very helpful. I know you know this, Father Joe, how how much prayer can change behavior. Um, And so interesting um, about your um, part of your your action was driven by anger. So um, just want to point out um, something that, that you shown us again is you you pulled your behavior from um, one of those automatic habits and I don't know how much you smoked but I suspect oh, a it lot, wasn't a lot. A lot, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you pull though um, that habit into more mindful 
um, behavior that I'm doing this and I'm angry at this thing that killed my mother essentially and um so it was it was a more that's when you can move into your real action plan um from just the contemplating i'm curious did you ever um before that say oh gosh i should stop smoking but i just don't want to or can't i remember one time uh putting out a cigarette at night and saying that's the last one i'm quitting and the next yeah. morning, I was on my second or third cigarette before I remembered that I had quit. That sounds like a joke, <laughs> but it's the truth. And um, that's why if someone says it's a habit and not an addiction, it, it really is an addiction. And it's insidious the way it can take over your life. Um, yes. Uh, the and first it- funeral I had afterward, there was uh, five minutes before the hearse was supposed to arrive. And usually they arrive right on time. And and everything was in place, and I'm looking out there wondering, what else do I have to do? What, and then I realized I had automatically built in a smoke break. You know, uh-huh. Automatically, I had gotten everything ready, so I'd have time for a quick smoke before before mass started. Yeah. So it's 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 really insidious. And even if if it kills me now, I'm grateful for the years I've had without having to be in that uh, compulsive trap with cigarettes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your call. I appreciate you sharing and with with yeah. the rest of us about this. And I think there's so many people out there who continue to struggle with, yes. like you said, it is an addiction. It, it's a habit, but it's also an addiction. The ha- habitual, the, the routine of it um, drives the addiction yeah. even harder. So That's right. Uh, oh, it's always good to hear your voice, Dr. Buttress. Thank you so much for your call. It's wonderful hearing yours. Okay, so bye-bye. Bye-bye. I want to thank all our callers and, and all of our listeners, and I hope that our discussion today about anatomy, the anatomy of a habit, has helped you all understand why our brain circuits do that to us and how we can make the change. And sometimes, as you heard from from others, sometimes you can do it on your own, but sometimes you're going to need some professional help, whether it's with a relationship and, and anger control or whether it's with an addiction to alcohol or cigarettes or whatever it is you're struggling with. We didn't even talk about the gambling addiction issues that people can get into. So know that that your brain is going to try to make you resist change, but you can push your brain forward, get everything into that frontal thinking cortex, make yourself work through it, and come up with a plan, an action plan to help yourself. So I appreciate everybody for listening today uh, to Relatively Speaking. And I just want to mention that you can listen to us on podcast. And also, I would love to hear from you if you have any ideas of what you would like for one of our shows to be on in the future. Today's show is engineered by Patrick. Uh, well, no, it was engineered by Jay White. Our call screener was Patrick. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking, and hopefully you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next.